about now? There? Okay, good. All right, and again, it is good to be here. Um, I want to recognize someone else. Melanie, I need you to stand up. Yep, you got to stand up, Melanie, please. She's back for at least, well, today. I mean, she's here this morning, and uh, what a blessing it is to have you here. And Larry told me he was, he was glad because you didn't have that right hook, wasn't nearly as good. And, uh, but you're getting better with the left one, and uh, no, that's good. We're, she's a great servant here. We're glad to have you back. It's good to have you. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to have you here. Uh, our, we're going to stick with our all-girl theme this morning. Uh, where's Madeline and Catherine? Where are they at? Oh, there they are. They're going to have our scripture reading and prayer. Please be standing for our scripture reading and prayer. In fact, Madeline's got, it's a pretty lengthy passage, but I know she can handle it. She's got her mama's brains. Uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 through 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph. Before they came together, she was found to be with a child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save the people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill, the, fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from his sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for how you have blessed us with all the food that we can have. Thank you for letting everyone in this church safely get here. Lord, can you please help the people that are hurt get better and let people get go get and know you more. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. I know most of you uh, know who Cora Younger is, and uh, I've been sharing with you weekly that uh, Cora's at home now, and, and uh, she is fighting uh, the battle, and uh, just continue to keep Cora and Jimmy in your prayers, and I was telling you, sure, good, we've had so many folks, and uh, the period of time that Tim and I have been here who have who've had to, you know, fight cancer, uh, any number of other maladies. Scott Cronauer, I told him it looks good, and it hadn't been that long ago, and, you know, he, he was uh, uh, having to fight and struggle, and we got Danny Ailywine and uh, his ongoing battle and so many uh, that we have seen. I, I will just tell you that... Um, I've said it, and I'll continue to say it. Um, Cora's such a wonderful, wonderful, uh, she's just a wonderful lady. And you just please keep the younger family uh, in your prayers. Her sister, Leona uh, Schramm, had, has had heart uh, surgery. Uh, Ron Wyman's been really, we talk about a servant. That's another thing. We have so many great servants here. 
uh, really uh, been back and forth to Houston and there's, he, he could do a lot better than I, but I mean, she's had to have surgery and valve surgery and, and uh, she's, you know, she's, uh, it, it's, uh, um, she's not out of the woods yet either. So, uh, and that is Cora's sister. So continue to keep her uh, in your prayers as well. She's on the prayer list there. Um, so open your Bibles, our text this morning, our sermon is going to come from the seventh chapter of Isaiah. And you, I'm going to read a passage uh, I'm also going to be in the first chapter of Matthew, uh, the 12th chapter of Matthew, and 2 Kings 16. 2 Kings 16. Uh, put all these pieces of scriptural puzzle together. So uh, Isaiah chapter 7, it'll be verse 10 uh, through 16. And then we're going to be in 2 Kings 16, first chapter of Matthew and the 12th chapter of Matthew. So as we get to the uh, reading of that the, the passage in Isaiah, I want to challenge you just to lay the foundation here because this is uh, really the, uh, the place in this passage in Isaiah's prophecy where this dilemma, this problem, um, this is really the revelation through the prophecy, uh, what's going on here, at least in the, in the life of this king, Isaiah addresses it. There were national implications for the the nation of Israel, God's people. But I want to ask you, so uh, in your Christian walk, as is, is you walk and live as a Christian, living by faith, have you, uh, have you ever been to a point in your life where you, you, you know you've read the Scripture and whatever the struggle is in your life, whatever the obstacle in your life is, the, the enemy in your life, you've turned to Scripture for instruction encouragement, affirmation. And you know, you could go to those verses. You can go to Philippians 4.13 and you can read, man, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You can go to the writer of Hebrews and you, you can read those great uh, words where uh, without faith it's impossible to please God. You, you, you can go throughout Scripture find those encouraging uh, passages that I think we turn to as Christians or, or no matter what the circumstance in our life is, and we find assurance, uh, we find instruction, we, our strength is, our faith is strengthened, um, and yet, the Bible does a, only what the Bible can do, this perfect way of illustrating people of faith, from the most humblest to, to a king, that in their knowledge of God, what they've witnessed and seen, and what they know to be true about God, no matter what the circumstances are in their life, their faith is weak. The, 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 the faith, no matter what Scripture says, no matter what the prophet says, no matter what they, they have seen or, or we have seen in our own life, where we could see God intervened, God was there, God was working, God was helping, God was true, our faith, in spite of all that, our faith. And then problematic to that is, what do we do? In spite of what we, the assurances that we have from God and his word and the evidence of it in our life and in history and out of the pages of scripture, our faith, we become fearful. Uh, and then like the characters in scripture, rather than finding our strength and, and, and encouragement and direction from God and his word and his faithfulness and his spirit, 
we turn to some, someone or something else. It's that God's in his power and his word and his instruction and his spirit, it's not, it's not, it's not enough. I mean, I know it. And it's almost like, a, I don't know, I, I have done this in my own life. I know what the scripture says. And I know it's the truth. And I know I, I, my faith needs to be tied to God and his word. But these things are happening. These things are happening. The business is failing. Someone in my family has betrayed me. Maybe there's division in the marriage. Your children are struggling. I mean, you just do the list. The things are common to us. And in spite of what God's word says and where I need to know and I need to be on my knees and I need to be worshiping God and I need to, I love that great passage in Job. He loses everything. You just read it in the first three chapters of Job. I mean, he just loses everything. And what does he do? He worships. So great, he worships. And he said, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. So should we just worship him when, when things are, are good? I love that. But then, myself personally, and we're going to read one now, the other stories in Scripture, where I don't like them, I, I can identify with them. Something's happening. So there's something. Things are overwhelming. And in spite of what I know about God, in spite of what God has proven, what do I do? I look for something else. I, I look for someone else or something else. I, I do it. And so I, that's the setting here. When Isaiah started, he said, you know, the thing was, these people, I talked about it last week, you've abandoned me, you've revolted against me, you've reviled me, God's people, not people, not, this is God's people. Then he identifies it. And now Isaiah, he served under these kings. And now Ahaz is the king. And so beginning in chapter 7 and verse 10, if you read the whole section of chapter 7, those first nine verses, you know, Judah, the southern kingdom, this king Ahaz, they're in trouble. They have the northern king of Israel conspiring against them and a king of Aram. Uh, who is non-Israelite, conspiring against them. And, and Ahaz gets word of it. And the prophet Isaiah comes to him and says, you have nothing to worry about except your own fear. You know, these smoldering, these, this is not going to come to pass. You don't have to worry about the king of Israel. You don't have to worry about the king of Aram. You don't have to worry. It's not going to come to pass. The prophet of God told him that. Yet he has this fear, okay? Now, where did the problem originate? Assyria, which was about four, I'm going to do biblical numbers, 400 kilometers uh, to the west of this region where the 12 tribes were, Palestine, uh, they were the world power. Assyria was the world power. They were the world power. And, and this king of Aram and king of Israel, they wanted Ahaz, the king of Judah, to get together. I'm just giving you a summary. 
to get to there, and they wanted to fight against this Assyrian king, this world power that they feared, and Ahaz wouldn't do it. And so what did, the, <laughs> what did these two kings? Well, if you're not going to help us, we're going to come get you. I mean, it's, it, nothing changes, does it? We still live in those kind of <laughs> people. It's just funny. It's not fun. It's, it's sad and it's dark how history has just repeated itself. Politics, ge geography, and, uh, armies and militaries and, and all the conspiring evil things that men do to one another from the highest to the lowest. And so that's the summary. These two kings, Ahaz, come help us. Nope, not going to do it. Not going to do it. Well, well then we're going to come get you. <laughs> and Assyria's sitting over here. And, and we're going to read really what's going on here. So, so now Ahaz, he's terrified. And the people, it said, the people of Israel, it's, man, we read it last week. They're just, man, like the, the trees that are, uh, what does it say in verse 2? When it was reported to the house of David, David saying the Arameans have camped in Ephraim, his heart and the hearts of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake with the wind. There's a great fear over these people. It's a great fear. And the prophet of God, with the voice of God, says you have nothing to worry about. And then you get to verse 10. Then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz, this king. And this is, this is an interesting place in Scripture. So the Lord speaking to Ahaz, the king says, ask a sign for yourself. Ask a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Make it deep as shoal or high as heaven. Do you know what Isaiah was saying to the king of Judah? The voice of God, the Lord speaking to this king who is fearful, he says, you can ask anything you want from God. Anything. This is better than three wishes from a genie. He says, you can ask whatever you want. There's no height or depth to what you can ask. You can ask anything you want. I've already given you assurance that it's not going to come to pass. This is not going to come to pass. Okay? But you can ask whatever you want, a sign from the Lord. Could you imagine being in that setting? And then this is what Ahaz says. But Ahaz said, I'll not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Now, this is where it gets really personal. How many times or places, or maybe you've done this, where you've misquoted scripture. Where you misquoted it. See, so Ahaz, in this great fear, great enemy, prophet of God says you can ask whatever you want. And he says, no, 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 no. Oh, the pious, humble guy that I am, the Bible-knowing person that I am, the one can, that can quote Scripture, I'm not going. I, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. I'm not going to do it. I won't do it. Now, he's quoting from, he's making a statement that was rooted 
in the book of Deuteronomy. Moses wrote it. Deuteronomy 16 says, don't test the Lord. Don't you test the Lord. That's the scripture. That's the law. God's word. Don't test him. Now, there's some problems with that. First of all, the problem is it wouldn't be in a violation of scripture because the Lord himself is saying to him, ask, ask. You're not testing him. Ask. Now, I want to just challenge you. These young people, I want you to challenge you to look at this. See, even the world, Satan knows scripture. All you got to do is go to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 4. Satan tempts Jesus. You know, 40 days in the wilderness, you should be. Yeah, I hope you know that story. 40 days in the wilderness, and Satan comes, and he's going to tempt him. And he tempts him on the basis of three things, but in the area using Scripture. Satan using Scripture. Satan using the Word of God to tempt Jesus. Now, that was very foolish of Satan. <laughs> Trying to tempt the writer of Scripture, the inspiration of Scripture, uh, with Scripture. It didn't work out good for him. But that's then. But now you and I. Now, you're going to hear this. And I know you've heard it. We live in a world today where even the world knows uh, Matthew chapter 7. Uh, and, you know, that whole series of verses there that says, do not judge. Lest you be judged. Do not judge. Yeah, have you ever heard anybody of your schoolmates do? Oh, you talk about Christian stuff, Bible stuff. And, and, and you make a statement about something that, that, you know, maybe you make a statement about something you believe true in the Bible. Maybe you make a statement about, hey, you know what? The Bible says this about homosexuality. The Bible says this about adultery. The Bible says this about fornication. The Bible says this about my sexual behavior. And, you know, he's like, you know, oh, don't judge not. Don't judge. Maybe you see somebody engaged in bad behavior. And you point it out. Oh, judge not. What's the use of Scripture, isn't it? I've heard it in ministry in the church. I can't tell you how many times. In well-intended church members, not out in the school, you know, not in a bar out in the schoolyard, but even, well, you know, brother, we're not to judge. And it's a convenient way to use a passage of Scripture with ungodly motives. A convenient way to use a passage of Scripture with ungodly motives. Now, you and I have not been given the position to condemn anyone. But you and I have been given the position and the knowledge and the instruction to discern. To make discernment. First, concerning ourselves. Then, knowing the Word of God. For instance, Paul would write to the Corinthians, expel the wicked one from amongst yourself. You had to make a judgment. There had to be a discernment. That person's behavior is wicked and evil. I don't condemn that person. Their behavior condemns their, their and they need to be removed. Why? Because, in fact, you'll just turn such one like that over to Satan so that God, God's will might be done and bring about redemption. But that's not. But would you judge not? No, you and I have been called to make judgments and discern First, dealing with ourselves and in a way that honors God. But that's a misuse of Scripture. That's just one example. That's what Ahaz is doing here. Ahaz has given, been given the opportunity in this great moment of to fear. Ask whatever you want. 
the Bible is being written. It's at a time when, when right here at this point, a prophet of God, the voice of God says, you can ask. And, he, and he, what does he do in his fear? He misuses scripture. And do you know why? Go to 2 Kings chapter 16. Begin in verse 1. In the 17th year of Pekah, the son of Remaliah, Ahaz, the son of Jotham, king of Judah, became king. Ahaz became king. Isaiah was his prophet. Ahaz became king. Ahaz was 20 years old when he became king. Grace, how old are you? 13? Could you imagine being a king of, or the queen of anything at age 20? So at age 20, he became king and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God. And he did not do right. He did not do right in the sight of the Lord his God. To me, that is, uh, that statement's repeated over and over and over in Scripture. Um, I always think of this, this little side note. After the resurrection of Jesus, you can read about it in the book of Acts. Uh, you know, the apostles, the day of Pentecost, and man, they go out, they're, they're, they're fulfilling the commission, Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where Jesus told them, he said, first, listen, you go to Jerusalem, you wait, you're going to receive power from on high, and you're going to be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem, then in Judea and Samaria, and even the remotest parts of the world. And, and, and so these men, they received this power of the Holy Spirit. And they start in Jerusalem, the very place where Jesus was uh, illegally arrested and illegally convicted and illegally condemned and illegally crucified. And there was great animosity and great anger towards Jesus' followers. And so it's a fearful time. But Jesus says, look, you're going to receive power. But I love it. So as they receive that power and they're emboldened by the power and the Spirit of God in this very dangerous time, they go out and preach the gospel. Well, the same Sanhedrin council, Jewish religious council, that had conspired to convict Jesus and crucify him, they bring Peter and James into the, this same council, and they said, but you know what? They, I want, I'd love to, this is what you want on your tombstone. If you're going to have a tombstone, what you don't want to have on your tombstone, you don't want to have this. And he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord, his God. You, you don't want to have that. You don't want to have that chiseled in stone. But what they said, the conspirers against the apostles, they said, these men, these men had been with Jesus. These men had been with Jesus. They recognized. At the end of your life and my life, in the course of our life, what better words 
Wouldn't you like that chiseled? This man, this woman. Oh, there with Jesus. That's all. But this Ahaz, he did not do what was right in the sight of the Lord his God and as his father David had done. So he'd had, so listen to this church, listen to this church. He'd had the right influences. You know, so many times we, we judge a kid. Well, did you know their parents? <laughs> did you? Man, I'll tell you what. Listen, I, there's no, boy, the tree doesn't fall far from the, you know, the, the apple doesn't fall far, far from the tree, does it? I, I saw the way this guy was. I knew the way old Braden was going to turn out. Just look at his dad. I know. You know, you saw that. But this is not the case. Ahaz had everything in his genetic and historical history to know what was right. And what he didn't. He didn't. And he walked in the ways of king of Israel and even made his sons pass through the fire according to the abominations of the nations whom the Lord had driven out from before the sons of Israel. And if you keep on reading, and for time's sake, I'm just going to go down here to verse 7. So this is this moment where the prophet Isaiah comes and says, you can ask any sign you want. You don't have to be afraid of these enemies. He said, oh, I'll not test the Lord. You know what the lawgiver Moses wrote? It's right there in Deuteronomy. You know, I'm not going to test him. Misuse of God's scripture because... He had already made this ungodly alliance with the Assyrian king. You can read it. I'm going to shorten this for us, just for time's sake. But he had already made this alliance. He'd already, here's the great lesson here. Do you realize, it says that, that God is jealous for you and I. Do you know, I want you guys to know something. God is is a God, he is so, he's number one, he's love. But he pursues. And you go right in 1 Peter. He, yeah, this whole deal's coming in. And there's going to be a judgment. But it, even Peter would say, the Lord is loving and compassion. And he would that none would be lost. None that would be lost. There's nothing that, that God, right through Scripture and in your life, and he who has eyes to see, let him see. You're going to encounter all kinds of deception. You're going to encounter all kinds of destructiveness and darkness and brokenness and sin in the world. And you are. And people are going to let you, they're going to let you down. People that you love and trust are going to let you down. You're going to let yourself down. And you are. And God is just there. And the evidence of him, just like Paul would say in Romans chapter 1, none of us, we're all without an excuse because even the invisible attributes of God are now known through the creation. You can just see him. He's here. He's evident. And if we just live in all this darkness and brokenness and we're encountered with it and all this stuff, and we can get to turn. You get to turn wherever it is you're going to turn. And, and, and you have this great story here. Ahaz. Mm, I'll read it in verse 7. So Ahaz sent messengers to tiglath Pileser, king of Assyria. This, this is, this is this, this is this king, anointed king of Judah. Have you ever done this? Before you think too badly of him, have you ever done this? Have you ever sold out your God because of some great fear you're in? 
And we can sell God out without even being in fear. We can just sell God out for something that we lust after. It's amazing what we'll sell ourselves, the level we'll sell ourselves at. Knowing something better. Listen to this. This is the, this is, could you imagine David saying this? This is the king of Judah. Jesus is from the tribe of Judah. To an ungodly king in his fear, I am your servant and your son. I believe there are things in heaven. I believe this. God in all of his sovereignty, I just believe this. I can support it with scripture. Things that in, in I guess the way I would say it in human terms, that break, break his heart. Now in his sovereignty, that's another sermon for another day. But could you imagine if you had the power and the ability and the position in life to train someone, to anoint someone, to put them in a position and, and, and that person had every tool available to them to do what was right and true and that person goes to an ungodly, wicked, evil, idolatrous and says, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. And I'm your son. That's what I asked him. With the full assurance of God that this Assyrian king would never reign over. You don't have to worry about the king of Israel and the king of Aram. Isaiah then is going to continue in his prophecies. Let me tell you what's going to happen to you, Bubba. You go, you, you go, you go, you're going to partner up with Assyria? Well, yeah. Not only is it going to affect you, it's going to affect the land. We're not there yet. So when we read this passage, I want you to leave here today examining your life. No matter what's going on in your life. No matter what's going on with your family. No matter what's going on with your marriage. No matter what's going on in any area of your life. And ask yourself, do I know what the assurances of God are? That's where you need to start. You know, the writer of Hebrews would quote this great passage. He would say about our God, he'll never leave you nor forsake you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus made assurance about the church in Matthew 16. He said, I'm going to build a church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Even though we die, we live. Death, where's your sting? Do you believe that? The greatest witnesses that I have had in my life are godly men and women who in the midst of a great struggle, the, the great hymn that we sing, Standing on the Promises. Standing on the Promises. 
Ahaz. Instead of standing on the promises, he became a servant and a son to an ungodly, adulterous, idolatrous nation and king. That's what he did. Now here's the final lesson. Go to Matthew chapter 1. I had mentioned that I would do Matthew 12, but I'm not for time's sake. I will tell you the passage in Matthew 12. This whole idea of, of, of asking for a sign that God told Ahaz asked for a sign. If you go to Matthew 12, and kids, I really want you to hear this. I really want to hear because I call it the, the boogaboo of religion, the boogeyman of religion. You know, the kind of way religion has evolved. Uh, and when Jesus was alive and he's walking in Matthew 12, you know, he asked some people, give me a sign. We want a sign. We need a sign. Get, show us a sign. We need a sign. And you know what Jesus said to him? Let me tell you what Jesus said to him. He said, the only generation, the only sign that's going to be given this adulterous generation is the sign of Jonah. And just like Jonah was in the belly of the well for three days and he came out. Now, they didn't understand it, but they would understand it. Some of them would. So today, you live in uh, Curtin, Texas, Bryan College Station, and, and, and there, there's this, and I'm ashamed to say preachers will do this. You know, they, they've taken this deal about a sign. You need to ask for a sign. Let me tell you something. And I, I got a great text for, for our youth group. I'm not going to point him out this morning. But he's in a search. He's searching at this point in his life. He wants to be able to give a defense for things. That he wants to be able to know what the Bible says about anything he might encounter. Just inspires me as a preacher. Fires me up. You know. See, you, sometimes you may just get to a point in your life and, and say, Man, I, I just ask God for a sign. Okay. Well, here it is. This is finished. I mean, do you need? I mean, there's signs all over the place. There's a rainbow. God made a covenant with Noah. There's the seasons: the spring, the summer, the winter, the the fall, the winter. There's the body of Christ, the manifold wisdom. Ephesians chapter two is now known through the church. I mean, I could go on and on and on. The book of Revelation ends. It says, John said, let me tell you something. And Jesus said he was going to testify these things. But he said, anybody that adds to or takes away from this word, oh, it's not good. Every sign that you ever need to know anything about the will of God is right here in this word. There's not a prophet going to any king or president anywhere, it wouldn't happen today. There wouldn't be a prophet that could go to uh, President Trump and say, ask for a sign. Anything God wants you, anything, as high as low, you ask for a sign. It wouldn't happen. If it did, it wouldn't be scriptural and it wouldn't be godly. Because what the preacher would say, it, it, it said, Mr. Trump, I can show you. You want a sign? It's right here. Genesis through Revelation. Every sign, every answer, every 
condition, every circumstance, every matter, anything you need to know. It's right here. This book wasn't finished then. And, and at that point in the time of these great prophets, we have an example of that. And so I want to finish here in chapter 1 of Matthew because Ahaz and Emmanuel meet again. I didn't even get to, get to the Emmanuel passage. We'll do that next week. But he did say to Ahaz, they're going to get a sign. And it's going to have to do with a, birth, a virgin birth. And, and, and the name of that child is going to be Emmanuel, which means God with us. But I want you to see the perfect sovereignty of God. Because in order for you and I, as a Christian husband, man, father, businessman, student, whatever we are, employer, employee, in order for us to, to not fall into that trap, to not fall into the trap of, of, man, things aren't going good. Well, I have assurances from God's word, every sign that I need to know and every answer is right here. All I need to do is turn to his word and get on my knees to find assurance. But yet something's going on, something. And oh, but you know what? Maybe, maybe this attorney, maybe this person, maybe there's enough money. Maybe this ploy, maybe I can do this. I'm going to go in my fear. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to misuse scripture. I'm going to be weak in my faith, and I'm going to turn to someone or something that's ungodly and evil to, to get me out of this jam. The only way that, that you can overcome that, and there is a way that's right out of the pages of Scripture, is for you and I to so fully know the complete and total power, holiness, and sovereignty of God. If he's truly sovereign, truly, do you know what that means, sovereign? Total rain, not some rain, not a little bit of rain, not, I ain't not, I'm not talking about R-A-I-N, I'm talking about R-E-I-G-N. I mean, total, he's in charge. And he's never been wrong. And he never will be wrong. And he's never fumbled. And he's never lost. He's never, and he never will. Look at this beautiful thing in, in Matthew chapter 1. So in Matthew chapter 1, look at this beautiful thing. Hmm. hmm. Verse 2. You start with the book of genealogy of verse 1. The book of uh, genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. This is the book of genealogy. What, what is that? They got that history thing now where you send them your stuff. Ancestry.com. This is the original one. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. To Abraham was born Isaac, and to Isaac Jacob, and to Jacob Judah and his brothers. And to Judah were, were born Perez and Zerah by Tamar. And to Perez was born Hezron, and to Hezron Ram. And to Ram was born uh, Aminadab, and to uh, Aminadab Nashon, and Nashon uh, Salmon, and to Salmon was born Boaz. Is that Salmon or Salmon? Salmon, and Salmon was born, you didn't, come on. And Salmon was born, uh, and to Salmon was born Boaz by Rahab, and to Boaz was born 
uh, uh, Obed by Ruth, and to Obed Jesse, Jesse, and to Jesse was born David the king, and to David was born Solomon by her who had been his, the wife of Uriah, and to Solomon was born Rehoboam, and to Rehoboam Abijah, and to Abijah Asa, and to Asa was born Jehosha, uh, Jehoshaphat, and to Jehoshaphat Joram, and to Joram Uzziah, oh, and to Uzziah was born Jotham, and to Jotham Ahaz. And then you get to the rest of the story. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, desired to put her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to make, take Mary as your wife. Uh, that which has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she'll bear a son. And you should call his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sins. Madeline did a fabulous job reading the scripture this morning. Now all this took place that what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet might be fulfilled, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translates God with us. Now we're going to stop right there. This is the finish. This is the, this is the premise. This is the foundation. This is the starting point. This is the ending point. This is the totality of your Christianity. 600 years before Jesus was born, Emmanuel, born of a virgin, the prophet went to an evil, ungodly king, a king that had turned his heart and his servantship and became a son to an ungodly king. Having the full assurance of God that he would, could, be, could ask God of anything. And only a sovereign God could use a man like that in the lineage of his son. Now I want you to bite you. Only a sovereign God. Like that. Could use an ungodly person. In the lineage of his son. This is the foundation and the formation of the gospel. So what could he do with you and me? What could he do with a wretched man like me? In 1 Corinthians, at the end of chapter 1, Paul writes, God chooses the foolish things to confound the wise, the weak to overcome the strong, the debased, the despised, the things that are not. So no, no man could exalt himself. Consider this. Paul would say, I came to you, not eloquent in speech, but let me tell you what I do know. I presume to know nothing but Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Crucified for what? For sinners like you and I. For sinners like you and I. And the story of Emmanuel is the story of Ahaz. And God, God chose to be with us. 
God chose to be with us. God chose to be with us. In an uncertain world, in an evil, dark, broken world, where, where God's own anointed people fell, the only assurance that you and I need to live according to God's will, the only assurance that you and I need to live according to God's will is understanding the sovereignty of God that he would choose to be with us in all of our ungodliness. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is indeed evident that you love us. It is indeed evident that you love us when many times we are very unlovable. Father, I pray that we never misuse your word. I do, Father. I pray that we never misuse it. I, I, I know that when we misuse your word, we mock you. Let us know your word, Father, so that we might have assurance in it. And that no matter that what takes place in our life, no matter what comes to it, that we know indeed we can, and, and we know indeed we can indeed do all things through Christ who strengthens us. We pray this. Help us, Father, to find assurance in your word. And be faithful according to it. And the word is your son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen.